Welcome to the HCC Podcast. Our mission is to nurture love for God, love for self, and love for others as the highest goal of humanity. May the following message nurture that love in your life. And remember, you're always welcome at HCC. It's a perfect church for less than perfect people. Peace. We're well done with our series on the secret of contentment. However, we're not done with the reality of contentment in our life. The goal of contentment is to move ourselves into a place where we begin to live in a sense of contentment. And so as we do that, we're always preparing ourselves on Sunday morning, priming our soul in order to be able to be open to hearing the very word of God because we believe that Hebrews 4.12 is real. And when it says that the word of God is living and active, it is alive. It is not the same as a dictionary. It is not the same as an automobile manual. It is not the same as a Kindle book. It is the living word of God. And as such, when we encounter it, it's meant to be interacted with in a living kind of way. And so I'm going to encourage you to stand up with me and let's say this together as we orient ourselves towards the word of God. Say it with me. God, I choose to slow my breath and relinquish my worries. I open my hands to pray. Come, Holy Spirit, to my mind. I receive your comfort. Come, Holy Spirit, to my heart. I receive your peace. Come, Holy Spirit, to my soul. I receive the Father's love for me. I am here to receive what you have for me today. And before you're seated, just know this is the word of the Lord for you. The Lord who loves you says these words to you. I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. And as we've talked about many times, this doesn't mean that he's going to rescue you from a bad hair day. It doesn't mean that he might rescue you from cataracts. He may. He may not. This is the ultimate end game for every person in Christ. Everyone who loves and follows this God, Jehovah God, the God of the Bible, is guaranteed this promise that everything you go through, he will carry you. Everything you go through, he will sustain you. Everything you deal with, ultimate rescue is yours. This is the word of the Lord. God bless you. You can be seated. And as you do that, let's look up and recite our memory verse, because if the word of God is really truly living and active, then we want to build this into our life and world so that every day, multiple times a day, we're actually saying this very thing. Let's say it together. For I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. My prayer is that in every staff meeting you're in, every commute you go on, every Zoom session you've got to take, every engagement at home, whatever the complexity, whatever it is, you are consistently recognizing that this is the God 
whom holds contentment for you. So, what's the secret? Thank you. Okay, so for the people that are going to cheat because they listen to the other people, let's do it one more time. What's the secret? Contentment is Christ. Yes, so live the secret. And Lord have mercy, do we not need it in our day and age? You know, I, I never know why the Lord calls me to share certain things or pick certain topics, but I'm often stunned, and I don't think I've ever been more stunned than what has gone on. I, I knew coming, I knew in the pandemic this sense of contentment and the other themes that we've had have all built upon one another to lead us to this sense of contentment. But I had no idea that on the, at the end of the Money Monster, the Secret of Contentment and the Money Monster series, that there would be this standalone sermon that I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do with. I, I wanted to talk about contentment and rest and Sabbath, but I, it's one of those Sundays that you're not totally, completely sure about. And then Russia invades Ukraine, and all of us are ramping up in anxiety. And the Lord says, yeah, that's that, that sermon right there, that was just a placeholder for what I really want to say. And what he really wants to say is this. He's calling us in our contentment to step up and trust him in troubled times. Would you say we're in troubled times? If you want to push pause, go to you know, your news station, then come back just to make sure you're still in troubled times. You can do that. We are in troubled times. So, trust in times of trouble. Why is there evil in the world? Great question. It's a question that many people ask, and some of you might be asking as well. Why is there evil in the world? If God is good, and God is great, then what's going on? What, what is His problem? Why don't He just fix it all? Well, there's a good, rational answer for that, but it might not be rational to you. The reality is that most people ask that question, why is there evil in the world? They want to hear something that makes sense to them. And no other answer is going to be sufficient unless it makes sense to them. And most people that are asking this question, why is there evil in the world? There is no answer that will ever make sense to them. Unless it's the complete and total, absolute eradication of evil from the world. Every problem, every issue, every trouble is gone then and only then will they believe that God is a God who really cares. The interesting thing is that God's planning on doing that someday. He's planning on removing all evil, wiping every tear away, restoring the earth to peace and harm. He's planning on that. That is the end game. That's what I just read to you in Isaiah. But right now, we're in a mess. And we're in a mess because the bucks stop with humans. The, I can't talk to you about the Hindu creation story. I, I can't talk to you about the Buddhist creation story. I'm not Hindu, nor am I Buddhist. But I can talk to you about the Christian understanding, the Orthodox Christian understanding of creation. God created a perfect world. And in that perfect world, there was nothing but harmony. 
No war, no troubles, no problems, no conflict between nature and man, man and man, man and God, nature and God. No conflict. Everything was perfect. And God said in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 28, what he said was, I'm putting you humans in charge. I see some people shaking their heads like, man, that was a bad idea. It was a really bad idea. <laughs> I think it's probably because you know yourself. It's like, you go, it's like, man, that's like me going away and leaving my six-year-old in charge of the house. What kind of crazy person does that? Well, if you had a perfect six-year-old, maybe you'd think a little bit about it. So God planned this, of course, and he, he put humans in charge. He told humans, you're, you're going to be my stewards of all the earth. And so as God did this, he, of course, laid the consequences that if, if you do this, Perfection will reign. If you don't do this, imperfection will flood, and therefore you will be in all kinds of trouble and problems and a big mess. And so the buck stops with humans, and whenever you wonder why is there evil in the world, really we can just look in the mirror and say, from a Christian point of view, from a Christian worldview, it's, it's because of humans ultimately. Now, why did God choose there to be the opportunity or potential of evil in the world? You might say, yeah, well, why did he choose that? Well, I don't know. Do you want to be forced to love anybody? Do you want to be forced to like anybody? Do you want to be, do you like being forced to do stuff? You don't. You like to do it out of freedom and out of liberty and out of joy and out of desire. You want love and you want to show love and be loved like that. And that's exactly how God created the world. Now, why did he do that? Because he's God, which is slightly above your pay grade. Just saying. He's God, you're not. He just decided, that's the way I'm going to create, that's the way I'm going to make human beings, and I'm going to put them in charge. So that's just how the Christian God, the God of the Bible, decided to do it. And it didn't end up so well. So in Genesis 6, 5, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Now, that was a, that was a real problem because if you're in charge and you're doing evil, you're going to cause trouble. And that's exactly what happened. Human beings open up the floodgates because of their sinfulness, disobedience towards God, lack of love for God, love for themselves and not for God, and all of a sudden sin and brokenness, disease, sickness all came into the world. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. How many parents have said that last line? It's a sh I know my mother has. My father's here today. He probably said that. So, so, so Steve's dad was sorry he had ever made it. It was probably a time in my middle school years when he thought that very thing. Yes. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Goodness gracious. Why is there evil in the world? Well, the buck stops with human beings. Why is there even in the world? Well, we, we, we're talking about that. Pervasive and perfectu per perpetual sinfulness. Sinfulness is brokenness. Sinfulness is anything less than the perfection in which God originally created the world. And we are in a perpetual state of that. So we're asking, what's going on? What's happening? Why is this going on in Ukraine? Well, because 
Human beings' hearts are desperately wicked, and often what they think is evil, and then they do evil, they think evil, they do evil, and then the next thing you know, we have war. Or, or the next thing you know, you know, we have, we, have, we have a conflict in our own marriage relationship, or in our own parenting, or in our own neighborhood, or all of a sudden our own ego gets in the way and our self gets in the way. We love ourselves more than others, and the next thing you know, we're in this conflict and battle, and we've got war going on in us and war going on in the world. Yes, pervasive, perpetual sinfulness. Sinfulness had a comprehensive effect everything is broken. So why is there evil in the world? Well, we've talked about that because human beings sinned, disobeyed God, did that which was imperfect and brought imperfection into the world. Now everything is broken. So now we know why there is evil in the world. But the question is, for us more personally, why is there evil in my world? Why is there evil in my world? Well, let's talk about this, that the general effects of a broken world, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the whole world is affected by human sinfulness and therefore corrupt. So birds and plants and trees, rocks, all of it is now in a position of corruption because we brought evil, sickness, disease, all kinds of trouble into the world. And now nature is against man, man is against nature, man is against each other, humans are against humans, on and on and on. Humans are against God, God has, you know, as the New Testament tells us, where it was enemies to, to human, humanity in many cases, maybe even in yourself and your own life for a good while. There's all this contention and conflict that's been brought into the world through these general effects of a broken world. But then there's also a specific effects of a broken me. That means when you make bad decisions, when you choose hate instead of love, when you choose inequity over equity, when you choose to be ugly instead of pretty, when you choose to honor yourself far above your spouse or belittle your spouse or belittle your children or give too much to your children at your own demise and consequently cause them trouble in their own life. All of these things are specific effects of a broken me. Now, my specific effects will not be your specific effects. You make choices, they're different. I make choices, they're different. Different negative effects, different brokenness occurs in my life and different brokenness occurs in your life. So generally, when the storm comes through and snows, it snows on everybody. But when I make certain decisions to talk to my wife in a particular way, that doesn't affect your marriage. But specific effects of a broken me, like James 1, 4 through 15 talk about, is a very powerful reality. There are general problems in the world at large that cause us issues and we have to deal with brokenness. And then there are those specific things that are a result of our own influence in our world. So the bottom line regarding our broken world, from weeds to war, we have no hope for healing but Christ. Contentment is Christ, in Christ alone. And let me stop here for a second and say weeds to war. I want to address that for just a moment because it can be easily misunderstood that I'm somehow 
belittling war and putting it down at the low level of weeds, or I'm taking weeds and putting it way up at the high level of war. Believe me, I know the difference. I know the difference between the ravages of war and the annoyance and irritation of weeds. They are not comparable in intensity in any way. I am not saying that this spring when I have to deal with crabgrass is just like the people in, the, in Ukraine dealing with war. I am not equating that at all. I am not equating the, the pain of abuse or divorce to you know, me having weeds in our yard. What I am saying is that the, the scope, the spectrum of brokenness includes all of it. And every single day that you wake up and you have to take your allergy medicine, that's a sign of brokenness. Every day you wake up and that loved one is not there, that's a sign of brokenness. Different levels of intensity, experience, depth, power, but yet all equally testimonies of brokenness. And that's why every day, every day, it's a reminder that there is only hope in one thing. That one day, when Jesus returns, he will take away all weeds and war. All weeds and war. All of it will be set to rights. That is what the scripture means in Isaiah when he says, I will sustain you. I will carry you. I will rescue you. This is what that means. Jesus made it as clear as he could. I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart because I have overcome the world. Not only the world at large in general, but also your world. Also all the trouble you're having. Not only war in Europe and weeds around the world, but also marriage troubles, problems, conflicts, health issues, cancer, financial trouble, loss of job. One day, the Lord is going to overcome all of the world, generally and specifically. So be clear. When we think of it in these terms, God's got the war in Europe. God's got the war in Europe. The question is not whether God has the war in Europe. The question is whether or not you have God. Do you have God? Do you have this God who makes these promises to you and says to you, I will rescue you. Even Jesus going as far to say, though you die, yet will you live. Everything about winter and spring even is about death and resurrection. It's about old life gone, new life beginning. That's what Easter is. Good Friday, death buried in the ground like a seed in winter and spring. Easter Sunday, resurrection, life. Is that the kind of God you're looking to serve? 
Is that the kind of God that's able to take the context of brokenness, the soil of brokenness, and raise up new life and growth? The question is not, does God have the war in Europe? That's an obvious answer in the Christian perspective. God's got the war in Europe. The question is, do you have God? If so, then just follow what Jesus told you to do. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Let your heart trust in God. This word let is will. When you surrender your will to the 24-7 news cycle, you're surrendering to perpetual anxiety. When you surrender your will to the news headlines and all the papers across the world and all the magazines across the world and all the podcasts across the world, when you surrender to the, to the warmongering, anxiety-provoking issues and you've got a constant diet of that, you are surrendering to something other than Jesus is inviting you to surrender to. Let means you give in. Let means you invite in. Jesus' recommendation is you let your hearts trust in God. And in doing so, if you've got God, then you've made the Lord your shepherd. Trust in the shepherd. When you trust in the shepherd, you can go ahead and graze and not worry about what's coming next. This is his invitation to you. Leave it to me. I've got this. You put your head down. You continue doing what you need to do. I've got you. This is his reality. If you have made the Lord your shepherd, trust the shepherd. Trust is not something earned, but something given. Now, that may be a struggle for you because you've thought to yourself before, you've got to earn my trust. And I'm telling you, do you say that about love too? Do you look at that little baby in your arms, that little grandbaby, and say, uh, I'm not sure. You know, if, if you grow up right, you do right, and you honor your grandparents, you know, then I'll love you, but you're going to have to earn it. I'm going to make you work for it. I've never been up here on the chancel and married people, and, the, you know, I say, okay, husband, say your vows. Well, honey, if you're lucky and you work hard enough, I might love you. Now, that might have been what they meant, but it's not what they said. Okay? The reality is, is that you, come, you confess this belief, this faith, that trust is something you're giving. Love is something you're giving. Trust is yours. You give it or you don't give it. That is totally up to you. People can, quote, earn your trust all day long, and you still don't have to give it to them. It's yours this is the idea of the shepherd as well. The question is, do you trust the shepherd? This is why Psalm 23 is in our Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. If you trust the shepherd. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. If you trust the shepherd. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. If you trust the shepherd, even when I walk through the valley of the, the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me if you trust the shepherd. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing if you trust the shepherd. 
Surely goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. If you trust the shepherd, you will also overcome the world, both now and then. Both now and then. You can trust in your shepherd and that will give you the strength you need today. He will lead you beside still waters. He will make you lay down in green meadows. Does that mean literally? No. It means you can be in the midst of conflict and he'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. It means that you can be in the fight of your life and he will invite you to rest because God's got your, world, your war too. God's got your war too if you will simply trust and rest in God. Giving trust is leaning in or on. I don't know if you've ever had a problem with uh, surgery like on your foot or had a broken leg, but when you use crutches, you've got to lean on them. When you need to move something forward, you need to lean in on it. Lean in on it. Lean on it. Jesus is saying, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust or lean. The word can be rendered the same. Trust or lean on God. And trust or lean also on me. I love that old song. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Would you take a praise break with me and let Pastor Kerry just lead us in that? Come on. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, in this pilgrim way leaning on the everlasting arms oh how bright the path grows from day to day leaning on the everlasting arms. listen carefully now what have i to make it your own what have I to fear, leaning on the everlasting arms? I have blessed peace with my Lord so near, leaning on the everlasting Come on, church. Secure from all alarms, leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Just recommending if you're a news junkie, would you take one cycle and just not watch it and just sing that? Just sing it. 
Just let it become your confession. Because if you do, I'm confident that you will sense what Jesus is saying here. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Lean on him. The reality is that trust in times of trouble is dependent. Trust in times of trouble is a commitment, a desire, a committed routine, a committed mental state in order to be able to recognize when Jesus says these words, you're going to give up worry and take up trust. To give up worry and to take up trust. Sometimes you might need to just condition your mind, create a new neural pathway. How do we do that? We do that through memorizing scripture. We do that by memorizing lyric, remembering lyric. For you that have been in church a long time, or maybe your parents have been in church in a long time, remember the old song, Trust and Obey? Do you remember the words to the verses of that? This is not a song simply to liven up our Sunday morning or engage our Sunday morning or be for Sunday morning. This is a song to live by. Come on, let's sing it with Pastor Kerry right now. Let's do it. Trust and obey. Come on, church. For there's no other way. Pastor Bowman's leading in the back. To be happy in Jesus. But to trust and obey. Listen carefully. Not a shadow can rise. Not a cloud in the skies. But his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt nor a fear. Not a sigh nor a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Lift up your voice, church. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. But to trust and obey. Don't miss this. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet, or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sins we will go never fear only trust and obey trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey Let's stand up. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let's finish up right here, church. Oh, it is so sweet. 
to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know the saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, thanks right now. Let's just lift up thanks to the Lord. Thank you, God. You can be seated for a few more moments. The problem is not the reality of war. The problem is we have not cultivated a quiet heart. And when I say cultivated a quiet heart, I mean that we haven't cultivated a quiet heart by memorizing songs like that, by singing songs like that consistently. We haven't built, we haven't leaned on those things, learning to lean on the everlasting arms, trusting and obeying. Instead, we've tuned our heart into the noise of the world, leaning on human arms. It is truly time to repent. If you want that secret of contentment real and alive in your life, if you are wanting to deepen your trust in God and your confidence in God, you're going to have to recognize that God's got the war in Europe, not NATO, not Biden, not Putin, not even Zelensky. No, God's got the war in Europe alone. It's a divine conspiracy. And do not fail to miss this. This is really important to me to say to you. As your pastor, we are soul family. I love you, and I need you to hear this clearly. Much like the pandemic, the war in Ukraine is a global, globally traumatizing experience. For two years now, we have been traumatized by a virus, and now we're being traumatized by a Vladimir. So, what you're feeling, that sense of heaviness, is quite normal for trauma. That sense of numbness, that sense of being scared, that sense of anxiety, all of it is normal. You are not crazy or alone. However, my hunch is that you don't want to remain in that experience. My hunch is you don't want to continue living this perpetually traumatizing kind of experience as you wake up every day and wonder, did World War III start or not? So, what can we do? And I think probably right now you're saying, man, Steve, I hope you got something to say. <laughs> I do. Five keys to cope with war. These are it. Memorize verses for a peace. Why? Because the Word of God is living and active. I'm just not pretending. This is not a joke. This is not me trying to be religious or trying to get you to buy in a church somehow. This is me saying, if you want peace, you need an active ingredient in your heart. 
If you want a, a good aspirin to take away your pain, a good pain reliever, you want a good active ingredient. In your faith, if you want to take away your anxiety, you want to become more peaceful, you want to become more trusting, you want to lean heavily, more heavily on the everlasting arms, you're going to need to memorize verses of peace. That's number one. There are five keys. How many are here? There's only four here. Who said five? We have a problem. Memorize this verse for peace. I'll get to the fifth one in just a minute. Limit your news intake. Amen? Just saying. Just saying. Love news. Love all that stuff. I don't know if it's any good for us, but I'm just telling you, limit it. Limit it. Openly confess trust in God at work, in your marriage relationship, in your children, in your dinner conversations, in your social media output. Everything you do, begin confessing trust in God. And as you confess with your confession, with the words of your mouth, you will be victorious by your testimony. Because you will be claiming that you believe what you say, what's in your heart, what's in the word of God. So confess out loud to others. Ask others to hold you accountable for your own confession. And as you do, it will be a positive self-feedback loop rather than a negative self-feedback loop. Four, commit to peace in your own world's wars. Who are you at war with? Who are you at war with? I get, the, I, I get that you're at war with the devil. I get that you're at war with Satan. But our big brother Jesus is going to take care of that. You got a part to play in your war with your spouse. You got a part to play in your war with your friend that you're on the outs with. You've got a part to play with, with your war with your family member or your ex spouse or your stepchildren or whatever. You, you, you've got wars and conflicts going on in your life. One way that you can localize control and gather a sense of trust and a sense of strength is by recognizing that I'm going to do what I can do about what I can do. And right now, I'm going to go home and I'm going to make a phone call. I don't care if they cuss me out and hang up the phone. I'm going to make a phone call and say, I want you to know it's over on my end. I've ceased all hostilities. I'm claiming a ceasefire right now. I love you. I'm not your enemy. Say that. Go home and say that to somebody. On the ride home today, say that to someone you might be warring with. When you commit to peace in your own world's war, you claim Romans 12, 18. As much as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. You're doing your part. You let God work out the other person. How many keys? Five. How many we got up here? Last one. Pray for peace. Give for love. When I say this, this is what I mean. That you need to activate something. You need to do something. One thing you can do is pray consistently for peace and give for love. In the church app, we've got a link that you can click on. And you can actually go to a site. Click on the button on that site and it will take you to a place to donate. Now, that donation goes directly to people whom we, our church, is in relationship with through our denomination. I know personally Tom Rawson. My wife and I went to college with him. 
He is responsible for coordinating the refugee and orphanage efforts all throughout Poland, Romania, Hungary, Germany, all those places. If you want your money to go somewhere specific where Pastor, who Pastor Steve knows and it's going to go to good people, in fact, the Church of God, our denominational orphanage in Maripol, has been relocated. Not physically, but all the people have been uprooted and taken into western Ukraine and they are going now into various parts and they're going to find placements. When you give, you're giving to that effort to directly relieve those people's pain, suffering, and problems if you want that. So... Pray for peace. Give for love. Pray this with me right now. God of all the world, we are pained by war in Ukraine. Your word tells us the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. We feel that now. Our hearts are heavy with the sights and sounds of war. We beg you to turn the hearts of those bent on war towards peace. We ask for unity around the world against this war. Use us here to pray and work for peace there. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Tomorrow night, there is a prayer meeting for all of the 150 churches in our region. Every member of every church in our region, 150 of them, are coming together to have prayer for peace in Ukraine. If you'd like to be involved, our church app, our social media, our news flash, all of it went out to you. If you're like, I didn't see that, you gotta open it. <laughs> it's all been sent out, it's all there. The links are there, the codes are there, the passcodes are there. You can join tomorrow evening at 7 o'clock for an hour and pray with hundreds of other people around the region for exactly this thing. I'm telling you, folks, we need to trust in times of trouble. Would you stand with me?